Good morning. It truly is a blessing to be here. Um, it, kind of surreal in many ways, as he said. Uh, I guess that's 10 years ago that we left this church, and we didn't want to leave. We lived in Middletown, North Middletown, when we first moved to Delaware, and it, we, we were willing to make that drive all the way up here, and we just felt so poured into. I would remember leaving church on a weekly basis and telling and expressing to my wife, this is how I want to feel when I leave church, filled up. The word was proclaimed and fellowshipping with other brothers and sisters. We loved our time here. When we came to Ogletown, when we moved up here, I was an accountant, uh, a controller of a company, climbing the corporate ladder on mission for me. (laughs) Um, But when I left here, my wife and I were on mission for Jesus. And so God worked in amazing ways. Uh, We stepped out at first into full-time ministry with an evangelical music ministry. I talked with Larry a little bit. He can relate to some of the stories. But I remember it was this church who encouraged us through some really difficult times. Um, Shortly after, I mean literally within two weeks of stepping out in full-time ministry, leaving uh, my career behind me, security and comfort behind me, and trusting the Lord and stepping out to do what we felt he was calling us to do. We were in Hartford, Connecticut, and I remember uh, just my son was a little bit sick at the time, at the beginning of the ministry when we were up there, but he got really sick to the point where we decided we would take him to an emergency room. And I remember them testing his blood sugar, and it was 12 And holding his lifeless body, that's really bad, by the way. I don't know if you know about blood sugars, but he almost died. And they life-flighted him in a helicopter to Hartford Children's Medical Center, telling us that he probably won't be alive when we get there. And I remember thinking, really, God? What's this about? I mean, I'm here for you. I left security and comfort for you to sing about you and to tell other people you're faithful. What is this about? I remember expressing to my wife, well, there goes ministry. So much for ministry. And it was this church and the people that reached out to us and prayed with us over the phone and encouraged us in ways that we can't express Thankfully, God uh, worked in miraculous ways. They told us my son would have brain damage. He survived the the helicopter flight. They informed us that he has a metabolic disease, and we still thought there goes ministry, but he survived, and praise God, uh, none of those things that they said would happen to him happened to him. Uh, He's thriving as a 14-year-old boy playing sports, doing well in school, but this church ministered to and encouraged us in so many ways in a time where we were really shaken. Jesus says, as referred to earlier, Matthew chapter 7, whoever hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who builds his house on the rock. And when, he didn't say if, when the storms of life come, the rain, the wind come and beat on that house, that house will be standing. It may sway in the wind, but it will be standing when the winds come and the storms of life come. My hope and prayer this morning is that your life is built on the Word of God so that you can endure life's struggles and challenges and diagnoses and suffering and that you will not be shaken. God is faithful. 
This morning, we're going to continue your psalm series, but kind of in a roundabout way. We'll make our way to Psalm 62 that Chris read a little while ago. We'll end up there, but specifically, I'd like to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 16. We're going to spend some time considering the testimony there in verses 16 through 40 of Acts chapter 16. And we'll see there, as is the case in Acts, a unique testimony of the expansion of the gospel. And we'll see also there a whole lot of shaken going on. Not the kind that Jerry Lee Lewis was talking about in his oldie but goodie song, but shaken nonetheless. And just to give you some context of this passage as you're turning there in your Bible, this is the Apostle Paul and his team on a second missionary journey, joined by Silas and now Luke and Timothy. We find them in the city of Philippi. God led them there specifically, and they're there for a specific purpose, to share the good news of Jesus. Same reason I was in Hartford, Connecticut that time, to talk about Jesus, to proclaim the gospel to people who did not know the gospel in hopes that people would know the gospel and place their faith in Jesus and be saved. Not long after they arrived in the city of Philippi, you probably know the story, many of you know the story of Lydia. There was no church there in Philippi, not even a synagogue at the time. So we're told that they, led by the Spirit of God in their hearts, Paul and his missionary team, went to where they supposed there would be a place of prayer, is what they referred to it as. A place where if there were any people who feared God, who knew about God, they would gather to pray. They went to the place of prayer out by a river just outside the city. And there they found some people who knew about God. God fears, they referred to themselves. And the women they met, they knew God. They quote unquote worshiped God. They even prayed to God. They were there. They gathered at the place of prayer to pray to God. But they didn't know Jesus. Well, Paul and his team, of course, told them about Jesus, the good news of Jesus. And one of the women who believed the good news received that message and was saved that day was the name, went by the name of Lydia. And not only her, we're told, but her whole household as well. And thus God was at work in the city of Philippi in tangible ways. At first, it didn't make sense to them why God would lead them past other cities and to this specific city. They didn't understand at the time, but they saw that day why God was leading them to to Philippi. As Lydia was converted, she trusted in Jesus, and not only her, but others as well. However, as we'll see in a moment, there's a lot more in store for them in Philippi, more for the kingdom, more for them. And this brings us to Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16. Let's read together. There it says, and we were going to the place of prayer. So Luke's documenting there. Paul and his team were going to the same place they met Lydia and the others, to the place of prayer. And we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. And she, this girl, brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. This slave girl followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now understand, this girl is possessed. This girl was scary. The scene was dramatic. I mean, it was freaky, to put it lightly. It was no joke. Jesus promised that in this world, you will have tribulation. And one unmistakable principle as demonstrated here and throughout the book of Acts and as believers are sharing the gospel and building the kingdom, we see time and time again they're met with opposition, tribulation. We're to expect opposition, believers. 
The demon possessed that possessed this slave girl was just that. It was opposition. That was taking place there that we're reading about. It was intense. The Greek root word for the fortune telling that this girl was a part of means frenzy. And so just to paint a picture of the scene, I mean, these are real people. This really happened. This is history. This girl was in a frenzy. That was the nature of how she did her fortune telling, her soothsaying. So don't think that having a quote-unquote spirit of divination, that might sound cool or appealing to someone especially from the world, but it's not appealing. Believe me, the, the real literal Greek translation is not that she had a spirit of divination, but that she had a python spirit. And there's a Greek myth that explains where they came up with that terminology, but literally these fortune-telling, soothsaying slave girls who were possessed, they had what was referred to as python spirits, and they would writhe on the ground, and they would hiss, and they would scream, and they would make a scene. It was horrifying. And the Roman culture at this time that was very superstitious, they put a lot of stock into these fortune tellers, even paid them for their services. History tells us that military commanders and even Roman emperors would consult with them before going into battle and making big decisions. So this slave girl brought much gain to her masters, her owners, and as a result of this, she was a hot commodity. And so this possessed slave girl's following Paul and his team around. She's in a frenzy. She's having a fit. I mean, I'd be walking the other direction if if I was there. But what's interesting about this slave girl, possessed by a python spirit, at first glance, she seems to be proclaiming the truth. I mean, if you see what she's proclaiming, what she's yelling as she's following them, she's saying, these men are servants of the Most High God. True. Thanks. And they proclaim to you the way of salvation. Yes, that's exactly what they're doing. And at first glance, when you read this text, you might be thinking, yeah, she's she's helping them out. But in reality, the Greek that's recorded, the literal translation, there's no the, there's no definite, definite article to what she's crying out. So more literally, what she's crying out so dramatically is that they proclaim to you a way of salvation, not the way of salvation. And furthermore, she's doing so contemptuously and she's doing it mockingly and creepily, so quite disturbing to say the least. This was opposition that we're reading about here in history, tribulation to the furtherance of the gospel to Paul and his team who were just there to make much of Jesus. They're servants of God and proclaiming Yes, a way, but also the way, the only way. There's only one way, and his name is Jesus. And yeah, that's contrary, right, to popular opinion, not just here and now, but also then and there. Jesus is not a way, he's the way. Remember what he says in John 14, 6, in case you had any doubt, contrary to popular opinion, it's spelled out, and there is a definite article in John 14, 6, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes unto the Father except through me. What that means is not one person, no one can approach God. No one can get to God except through the one way, Jesus. Peter says in Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else. He says there is no other name, not one other name given, available under heaven among men by which we must be saved. One way, Jesus is it. He's not a way, he's the way. We've got to understand that this morning. 
The reality is this python spirit controlled, that controlled this slave girl was opposition and making a disturbing spectacle. And furthermore, Acts 16, verse 18, it says that this, what she was doing, kept, she kept doing for many days. So Paul, as I'm sure many of us would be having been greatly annoyed, I'd be probably more freaked out than annoyed, but Paul was greatly annoyed. He turned and he said to the Spirit, looked right at the Spirit, and he said, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. Boom. Verse 19. But when her owners saw that as a result of what Paul had done when they saw that their hope of gain was gone, that their business plan had just crashed and burned, that Paul had literally thrown cold water on their hot commodity. And the same Greek word for the spirit being gone is the same word as their gain being gone. So everything, their money went bye-bye just like the the spirit went bye-bye. So understandably, they weren't okay with that. No, they had a problem with that. So as a result, we're told that they seized Paul and Silas aggressively seized Paul and Silas, and then they dragged Paul and Silas into the marketplace before the rulers, dragged as in by their feet, dragged as in violently and aggressively through the dirt right into the center of town. Verse 20, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, the first thing they said was, these men are Jews. At this time, Christians were still considered under the Jewish umbrella, which was not a good thing. There was much prejudice. The Jews had been expelled by edict from Emperor Claudius at this time, so there is disdain communicated here. These men are Jews, was said, and expressed in a derogatory manner. These men are Jews, and furthermore, as Jews, they're disturbing our city. Verse 21, advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. In other words, Emperor Claudius has not approved of or, or given approval officially for this message that they're proclaiming. These men are Jews. They're disturbing our city and our town, shaking things up. And understand, brothers and sisters, that's exactly what the gospel does. Shakes things up. And brothers and sisters, we have to be okay with that. Unfortunately, I think this reality, I think we all know it's a reality that the gospel shakes things up, keeps us who have been commissioned to share the gospel from sharing the gospel. Because we don't want to stir things up, at least most of us. Some people like to, but most of us don't. We don't want to make waves. We don't want people to feel uncomfortable or get upset because that makes us feel uncomfortable and we don't like that. So we avoid those situations and those opportunities. We don't want disturbed environments. We want peaceful environments, don't we? Most of all, most of us are lovers, not fighters, right? Most of us. But brothers and sisters, the truth is there is no peace without Jesus. True peace. No true peace without the gospel. And we need to understand that the most loving thing that we could ever do is share the truth of the gospel when we know the truth of the gospel. And in reality, the most unloving thing that we could ever do is we who know the truth not share the truth. Even if it means shaking things up. Even if it means making people feel uncomfortable. I mean, do we believe what we claim to believe? What Jesus tells us is truth? What God's Word 
spells out for us about eternity and heaven and hell and about Jesus being the one way. The most unloving thing that a believer who knows the truth could ever do is not share the truth when they know the truth, even when it makes people feel uncomfortable. Paul and his team, it did not bring them joy to disturb the city. What brought them joy was to share the truth, the gospel. But they were met with opposition and the city of Philippi was shaken. In verse 22 of Acts 16, it says, The crowd then joined in attacking Paul and Silas. They attacked them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them, literally stripped them naked before all the people. How humiliating. And then the magistrates gave orders to beat them with rods. Talk about tribulation. Verse 23, And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Not to keep them safe as in protect them, but to keep them, make sure that they're securely locked up. And so in verse 24, it says, having received this order, the jailer put them safely into the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. He keep them safely, all right. Wow. How's that for the blessing that comes from following Jesus, right? Follow Jesus. Place your faith and trust in Jesus and everything will be okay. God will bless you. It's all Paul and Silas were doing, following Jesus, being obedient. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation. Jesus says, the world will hate you just like it hated me. Hate. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus says, take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me and understand in no way, shape or form did Jesus express these truths to us in order to discourage us from doing what he's commanded us to do and not doing what he's invited us to do and that's following him. And these things, tribulation and opposition are not excuses for us not being obedient to what he's commanded us to do. He didn't, he didn't say, if you face opposition, then you don't have to share the gospel. No, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples, teach people to observe everything that I have commanded you. But don't be blindsided. Don't crumble underneath the pressure like I have almost done time and time again. No, expect opposition. Be ready for it and look to Jesus like we sang about. Understand, although perhaps not apparent at face value, that the blessing is there as well. It may not be in the shape or form that you're expecting or that you would ask for, but the blessing is there at the same time. And I can tell you and testify after 15 years of serving God, and yes, many tears have been shed, and yes, helicopters and broken down buses and not knowing how to pay the bills through all of it, I can say I wouldn't trade one minute of it. And I know that the Apostle Paul would say the same thing. So yes, opposition, yes, suffering, yes, sacrifice, yes, tribulation, but blessing. The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. God is faithful. Expect opposition, but also blessing. Acts chapter 16, verse 25, continuing. About midnight, again, picture it, beaten, battered, chained, Nude. I mean, they ripped their clothes off them. Vulnerable. Paul and Silas, were told, were praying and singing praises to God. 
Wow. I wish I could do that. They weren't questioning God. They weren't angry with God. They were praising God in the dark, in, in the cold, beaten, battered, shackled in chains in the inner prison. Keep them safely, all right. They were praying and singing praises to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And then verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison was shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Literally, the prison that Paul was in was shaken. And then we see that the jailer was shaken. So the city was shaken. The gospel stirred up the city. The prison was shaken by the earthquake. And now the jailer was shaken, literally trembling with fear. Verse 27 says, when the jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Because in that context, the prisoners, it was a lot different back then. And in that context, if a prisoner escaped, the jailer was responsible to receive the punishment that the prisoner would have received. So the jailer just thought, okay, I'm just ending it. These guys were in trouble. All these prisoners, they were really going to be punished. And so I don't want to be punished, so I'm just going to end it now. He had no hope. Verse 28, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. The jailer was shaken, literally shaking. He fell then down before Paul and Silas. Understand, this was a jailer. In this context, a Roman soldier, he was a man's man, and his job was not for the faint of heart. Oh, the things he must have seen in that context. Not only did he witness suffering, he inflicted suffering. It was his job. He had to be hard. He had to be calloused. But he was shaken, trembling with fear by what was taking place. And verse 30, then the jailer brought Paul and Silas out and said, pleading, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Show me what I need to do to be saved. Tell me what must I do to be saved. God got the jailer's attention. Understand, the earthquake did not happen to set Paul and Silas free. No, the earthquake happened to set the jailer free, free from sin and from the wages thereof, which is death, free from an exponentially greater bondage than Paul and Silas had ever experienced. The earthquake happened to get the jailer's attention, and God got the jailer's attention. What's it going to take to get your attention? Sir, ma'am? What's it going to take with all his heart? I mean, he was pleading with Paul and Silas. God got his attention on his face. He asked these servants of God who were there to proclaim the way of salvation, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas gladly told him in verse 31, believe Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Place your faith and trust in Jesus. He is the way. We're saved by grace through faith. There's nothing you have to do. All you need to do is believe in Jesus. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. Believe in him. If you do that and if your household does that, if anyone does that, they will be saved. And there is peace. There is hope. 
And his name is Jesus. Verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord. They explained more about Jesus. They told him all the things that Jesus commanded and to observe them because he who, Jesus said, he who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. In verse 33, and then the jailer who had been trembling and who was shaken took Paul and Silas that same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. Instead of inflicting wounds, he was washing wounds, mending wounds. This hardcore callous jailer was changed. He cared for them. He comforted them. He showed them hospitality in his home. And then he boldly expressed his faith in Jesus who saved him through baptism. Believer, have you been baptized? Have you declared your saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as we see demonstrated here? If not, why not? He was baptized at once. So many people think that you have to arrive or achieve this spiritual maturity before you're baptized. That's not what we see in Scripture. At once, he was baptized. You could not keep this jailer from getting baptized, just like the Ethiopian eunuch who saw water right after he got saved. He says, there's water. What hinders me from being baptized? I want to express my faith in Jesus who saved me. He and all his family, not just him, his whole family, were baptized at once and doing so obediently and publicly declare their faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Verse 34, and then he brought them up into his house and he set food before them and he rejoiced. He was not trembling with fear any longer. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. They were set free in Jesus Foul and peace, joy and hope. God shook things up and literally got his attention and he was saved. And believe it or not, there's still some more shaking going on in the passage. Verse 35, and when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men, Paul and Silas, go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come now and go out in peace. But Paul said to them, they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned. In other words, innocent men, men who are Roman citizens. And furthermore, they've thrown us into prison. And they do, and do they now throw us out secretly? No way. Let them come themselves and take us out. You see, Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. And that was a big deal. It meant they had rights of protection and other things. And Paul and Silas, as you can read the testimony, their rights were completely disregarded. And the magistrates knew that was going to get them in big trouble. And so, verse 38, the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid. They were trembling with fear when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They were shaken. Shaken in their boots. Verse 39, so they came and they apologized to Paul and Silas and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So verse 40, they went out of prison and visited Lydia and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and then led by the Spirit, they departed. So we see in this passage, the city of Philippi was shaken up because of the gospel. There was an earthquake, and we see that the jail was literally, the prison was shaken. We see that the jailer was trembling with fear. He was shaken. The rulers, the magistrates, they were shaken. But through it all, what I really want us to see this morning, and what I want all of us to be encouraged if we believe in Jesus, what we can see is that Paul and Silas, despite the suffering, despite the opposition, they were not shaken. Paul and Silas were unshaken. Remember, they were confronted by that freaky python spirit. 
was having a frenzy prophesying. They were dragged through the streets by their feet through the center of town in the dirt. They were stripped naked. They were beaten with many blows. And it's clarified that word many is in there. They were fastened to the stocks in a cold, dark prison cell. But they were not shaken. How's that possible? Something just doesn't add up here. What's going on here? We see in this testimony that Paul and Silas had unshakable joy because they had unshakable confidence in the unshakable power of an unshakable God. Paul and Silas were unshaken. Picture them, real men with skin, feelings, battered, beaten, chained, locked up in the middle of the night, in the dark, at midnight, singing praises to God. And all they were doing, remember how that day started? We're heading to the place of prayer. They're not bothering anybody. Following Jesus. They went where they were sent. Doing what God had called them to do. Making sacrifices for Jesus on mission. And here they were. Talk about your day taking a left turn. Anyone relate? Maybe you've gotten a diagnosis. Maybe you discovered some news that you wish you didn't discover and the rug was pulled out from under your feet. Maybe you got a bill that's way more than you were expecting and you don't know how you're going to pay it. Maybe you've stepped out in faith to share the love of Jesus and met opposition and it doesn't make sense. Be encouraged by this testimony. Paul and Silas... We're not shaken. 2 Corinthians 4.8, Paul says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. He acknowledges perplexed. We don't understand what God is doing. We are perplexed. But then he says, but not driven to despair. No, Paul and Silas had unshakable joy. They weren't driven to despair. When Paul was imprisoned on another occasion to this church that was birthed from this activity that we're reading about, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. He wrote to them, and again I say, rejoice Regardless of your circumstances, he was writing from a prison cell, imprisoned for the gospel. Rejoice in the Lord who loves you, who will provide for you, who sees right where you are, who has not forgotten you. James wrote in James 1, 2 through 4, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He doesn't say if you meet trials of various kinds, when. You should expect trials and tribulations Peter wrote, be not surprised at the fiery trial as though something strange is happening to you, as though something is happening to you that your God, your heavenly Father, your Abba Father is not aware of what's happening to you. No, all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Have joy in that, rest in that. Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul and Silas had that. You can see at midnight in the darkness of their cell, they were singing and praising God while the other prisoners listened Do you have that? You can. Listen, the joy doesn't come from you. It comes from Him. Rejoice not on your circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord and who He is and His power. Charles Spurgeon once said, any fool can sing in the day. 
It's easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight. In other words, when everything's going fine, when everything's hunky-dory. But he says, but the skillful singer, or I might say the mature Christian, is he who can sing when there is not a ray of light to read by. And these songs in the night, in the darkness, only come from God. They're not in the power of men. The joy that Paul and Silas had comes from God. They had unshakable joy. They also had unshakable confidence. Paul wrote to Timothy, his son in the faith. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. I don't have any regrets of all my years of ministry, beaten, imprisoned, suffering, sacrifices. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know why? Because I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded. I am convinced. I have confidence in God that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. He had unshakable confidence. And the unshakable power. Believer, you need to understand that the same power that Paul had access to, we have access to. We're told in Ephesians, Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, he said that we have access to, he says, uh, he says to them that uh, I want you to know this, that we have access to immeasurable greatness. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, unshakable power. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Romans 8.35, shall tribulation that we should expect, shall distress or persecution, opposition as we follow Jesus, shall that separate us from the love of Christ? Does that mean he's forgotten us? Does that mean he is not aware of what's going on? Does that mean he doesn't care about what's going on? Shall famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Skip to verse 37, no. He says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, confident, I have confidence. I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul and Silas were unshaken. They had unshakable joy because they had unshakable confidence in the unshakable power of an unshakable God. Paul, who likely wrote Hebrews, writes in Hebrews 13, 6, The Lord is my helper, therefore I will not fear. I won't be afraid. What can man do to me? God does not give us a spirit of fear, Paul wrote to Timothy, but a power and of love and of self-control. David wrote, back to the psalm as we close, think about your life. Are you shaken? David wrote, Understand, as we read this psalm, that David's God is your God. Paul and Silas' God is your God. And the joy that Paul had and that David has, you can have. He gives it, it comes from him, and the confidence, the faith that they had, it comes from them, it comes from God. You don't have to pull up your bootstraps. Don't hear me saying this morning that you need to have joy no matter what your circumstances is. I'm telling you that you can have joy no matter what your circumstances are. It comes from God. Look to him for it. David wrote about his God that through Christ either is or can be your God. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. I'm not going to trust in anything else. Jesus would put it this way in Matthew 7. All other ground is sinking sand. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I 
shall not be shaken. I shall not be moved. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. And in verse 7, Psalm 62, On God rest my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. They had unshakable joy because they had unshakable confidence in the unshakable power of an unshakable God. In closing, Hebrews 12, 28. This is a charge to believers. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And in light of that, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Do you offer God acceptable worship? Paul says in Romans 12, 1, he says, in light of who God is, in Romans 11, he talks about who God is and what Jesus has done, how awesome he is. He says, for all things are from him, through him, and to him. And he says, I urge you, therefore then, brothers, in light of all that, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to God. And he says, this is your spiritual worship. You want to worship God? You know what makes sense in light of who God is and what he's done? In, the, in light of the fact that he is an unshakable God, he says, what makes sense is that you offer your body as a living sacrifice. Live for Him. Obey Him. Find joy in Him. Peace in Him. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. As we close this morning, how is God leading you? Encouraging you? What this morning might you need to surrender at the feet of Jesus? What circumstances in your life are overwhelming you? Maybe you, like I have been on many occasions throughout ministry following Jesus, you're desperate, you're overwhelmed. Look to Jesus. Trust Jesus. He loves you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. His arms are always open wide. He never walks away from us. We're the ones that wander away from Him. What do you need to do? How do you need to respond? Again, don't pull up your bootstraps and have joy. Look to God to give you what only He can give you. And have unshakable joy. An unshakable confidence in the unshakable power of an unshakable God. And if this morning you can resonate with the jailer, maybe God's got your attention. You're here this morning and you can't believe you're here. He cried out, he pleaded to Paul and Silas, What must I do to be saved? And the answer is believe. Believe in Jesus. Trust in Jesus to do for you what you can't do for yourself. Everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus, of the Lord, shall be saved. As we close, just want to encourage you to bow your head right now and pray. Just ask God to show you what it is He wants you to do, how it is He wants you to respond. 
Maybe this morning God is asking you to take a step of faith to go to a quote-unquote Philippi or to go and share the gospel with someone, but fear or opposition has kept you from doing that. It's not an excuse, brothers and sisters. This world will hate you just like it hated me. But go, therefore, into all the world and share the gospel. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Deny yourself and follow me. Is that what you're doing? Pray right now and ask God to speak, to give you ears to hear, and faith to obey. Father, you are so faithful. And I know just thinking about the test, my own testimony and all the things that you've, by grace, allowed me to be a part of, what I'm learning time and time again is that you're faithful, that your steadfast love does endure forever. And so, God, forgive me for having short-term memory, even as a pastor, a church planner. Why do I doubt? Why do I fear you are unshakable. Oh God, my prayer is that I would not be moved, that I would not be shaken. Come rain, come shine, come hell or high water. And that we would be a people, that Ogletown Church would be a people, unshaken, ready for those storms. And that they would weather them in your power, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. And that through it all, they would have joy for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name.